Welcome to Smith Memorial Online. We're glad you joined us today. We're located in Collinsville, Virginia. At Smith Memorial, our motto is simple, follow Jesus. We'd like to encourage you to check us out online, www.smithmemorialumc.com. There you can find out more information about us, opportunities to serve, and ways to support this ministry through giving. We pray that God would add blessing this day to the hearing and the doing of God's Word. course of the next uh, four weeks, we're going to be journeying together in a sermon series, Letters from a First Century Jail, concerning the book of Philippians, Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. I thought today I would read chapter one to you from the, this is not a translation, but it's a paraphrase called the message. Paul and Timothy, both of us committed servants of Christ Jesus, write this letter to all the followers of Jesus in Philippi. Pastors and ministers included, we greet you with the grace and peace that comes from our God, Father, and Master, Jesus Christ. Every time you cross my mind, I break out in exclamations of thanks to God. Every exclamation is a trigger to prayer. I find myself praying for you with a glad heart. I am so pleased that you have continued on with us, believing and proclaiming God's message, that from the day you heard it right up until present, There has never been the slightest doubt in my mind that the God who started this great work in you would keep it and bring it to the flourishing finish on the very day Jesus Christ appears. It's not all fanciful for me to think this about you. My prayers and hopes have deep roots in reality. You have, after all, stuck with me all the way from the time I was thrown in jail, put on trial, and came out of it in one piece. All along, you have experienced with me the most generous help from God. He knows how much I love and miss you these days. Sometimes I think I feel as strongly about you as Christ does. So this is my prayer. That your love will flourish and that you will not only love much, but well. Learn to love appropriately. You need to use your head and test your feelings so that your love is sincere and intelligent, not sentimental gush. Live a lover's life, circumspect and exemplary, a life Jesus will do all, give, getting every fruits from the soul, making Jesus Christ attractive to all, give, getting everyone involved in the glory and praise of God. 
I want to report to you, my friends, that my imprisonment here has had the opposite of its intended effect. Instead of being squelched, the message has actually prospered. All the soldiers here and everyone else too found out that I am in jail because of this Messiah. That I piqued their curiosity and now they learned all about him. Not only that, but most of the followers of Jesus here have become far more sure of themselves and their faith than ever. Speaking out fearlessly about God and about the Messiah. It's true that some here preach Christ because with me out of the way, they think they'll step right into the spotlight. But others do it with the best heart in the world. One group is motivated by pure love, knowing that I am out of the picture, are merely greedy, hoping to get something out of it for themselves. Their motives are bad. They see me as their competition. And so the worse it goes for me, the better they think for them. So how am I to respond? I've decided that I really don't care about their motives. Whether mixed, bad, or indifferent. Every time one of them opens his mouth, Christ is proclaimed and I cheer them on. And I'm going to keep that celebration going. Because I know how it's all going to turn out. Through your faithful prayers and the generous response of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, everything he wants to do in and through me will be done. And I can hardly wait to continue on my course. I don't expect to be embarrassed in the least. On the contrary, everything that's happening to me in this jail only serves to make Christ more accurately known. Regardless of whether I live or die, they didn't shut me up. They gave me a pulpit. Alive. I'm Christ's messenger. Dead, I am his bounty. Life versus even more life, I can't choose. Friends, I'm going to stop there. And this is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. What boldness. A boldness that only comes from a life given to the gospel. Whether living or dying bothers me not. I know the outcome, Paul says. I'm alive either way. And so too are so many. Many who never knew that that was the case for them. They too are alive. Because of the gospel. That same gospel message that Paul preached is the same that I desire today. And the ways in which I err, forgive me. And yet we ask that you place the cross before me, that none see me but you and your grace alone. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Good morning. Once a month, every month, United Methodist clergy from around our district get together to discuss an assigned book, a topic, for some amount of sessions, and then we take a little break, and then we do it all over again. And you might guess, anytime you get a bunch of clergy together to, uh, to, to, to stay on a topic, um, it never happens at all. Rarely do we stay on the topic, and if we're honest with ourselves, rarely do we even touch it. We usually get together and we grave, uh, grieve our grievances with one another. And then an hour or two later, we realize we should probably get to work, and we go home. You might guess that we all, during this season, have experienced a bit of anxiety with one another. Given the recent events in our denomination, one of the clergy, he raised the question to the floor, why is the church growing in other parts of the world when it's declining so rapidly here in the United States? Why? What a question to ask. Now, my mother has always told me that I have the tendency to be a smart aleck, even though when she uses it, she never uses the term aleck. She usually uses something that rhymes with donkey. But nevertheless, in fear of letting my mother's prophecy concerning my personality down, I quickly blurt out, Who needs Jesus when you have a 401k? My statement was meant to be a joke. Sort of. You see, deep down inside, if we're honest, if we're honest, the gospel has never, never done well in places of privilege. And that's not just my opinion. As Bill Murray said in the 1981 film Strikes, that's a fact, Jack. You see, the gospel, the gospel, the good news, is only good news to those who know the truth about themselves. And let's just admit it, Americans aren't very good at that. We like to tell ourselves how good we are, how great we are, all of our accomplishments. Perhaps that's why the gospel isn't growing as well here as it is in other places. You see, those that are fooled, they don't love the gospel. They love the law. They love the rules. They love the codes of conduct that get legislated to keep some people in and others out. I don't love the gospel. The gospel, as Paul says, gives life. And the law, according to the Apostle Paul, is really only good for one thing. And one thing only to convict us of our sin and show us the need for the healing balm of the gospel. The question is, what is the gospel? And if you haven't noticed, I've been very intentional about the last six months to just preach the same sermon in a different way about what the gospel really is. You see, the gospel thrives in places with the poor, the destitute, the outcast, the child left watching when the captains finished picking their teams because in those places... The gospel is not a concept. It's real. 
It's the life-giving sustenance of God. It is the very power of God. It is the news that when all is said and done, your power, your might, your paycheck, your marriage, your righteousness isn't enough to save you. Nothing you have is enough to save you. Look at yourself in the mirror. And what you find out is, if you're really honest, I'm not as good of a person as everyone might think I really am. I need something. I need something to come from the outside of myself. I need something to come outside of me to me in the form of a gift I did not deserve. Where people feel self-entitled, self-privileged, the gospel is hard to proclaim. And perhaps this is why Paul seems to have such a positive attitude while writing to his little church in Philippi that he proclaimed. He's tucked away somewhere in a prison cell for the sake of Jesus Christ and the gospel that he proclaimed. You see, Paul's church... Paul's church is deeply concerned about their leader. I hope if one day I was to be locked up in Martin's Henry County Jail for the sake of my faith, maybe a couple of you would write to me as well. How are you doing? Are they feeding you in there? Are you being treated properly? Maybe you might check in to see if the person's spirit is not broken. How are you? That's what the church of Philippi wants to know concerning their leader, Paul, who's locked up in some prison. And Paul, locked up in prison, can't wait to write to them to tell them how well it is going. That's a strange thing to hear. Paul, locked up in prison, I can't wait to write to you to tell you how great it's going here. And notice, if you will, when Paul writes, he doesn't write about how well it's going for him as his followers may have originally wanted to know. No, Paul tells you exactly what it's like for him. Paul says, any day, I feel like two outcomes are going to happen. They're either going to release me, or more likely, I'll be executed. That's really how it's going here. But, that is all secondary to how well the gospel is doing inside of these walls. Paul says, I want to write to you all to tell you how well the gospel is doing. This imprisonment has really had the opposite of its effect. They wanted to shut me up, but in reality, they gave me a pulpit. The guards are even receiving the message. Fellow inmates are being encouraged. It has even spurred up people outside of the prison to take the mantle that I had preached concerning the gospel. And let's be honest, Paul says, some people couldn't wait for me to get to prison so that they could step in. And they were doing it now for conceited reasons. But guess what, Paul says? Who cares? Not me. 
Every time they open their mouth, they're just pouring the gospel out into the world. And Paul is ecstatic about it. But how could this possibly be? Prisons are not intended fun places to be. Especially a first century prison. We're so and yet it's inside of prisons where so often the gospel seems to be alive and well. People who have already received their condemnation from the law, that is the place where the gospel pours out amongst everyone. I'm reminded of my friend, Brother Bob. All of you all sent Christmas cards, and as I was opening these cards, I came across one, and I started reading it, and I was thinking, I've opened someone else's mail. This person is talking to me about uh, their, their family and, and how well it's going with their family, and the, then they start talking about how great the season has been for them and their preaching of the gospel and the people receiving it and hearts and minds being transformed. And I'm like, what on earth is this? And then I read at the bottom, it's Brother Bob. Bob's been locked up in prison longer than I've been alive. And he writes. And he writes so often and he writes with an ecstatic joy because it's not about him. He is witnessing the gospel present in the lives of those who have been condemned by the law. Friends, if we don't get the gospel law dynamic, we'll never understand Jesus and what he offers. The law says you are convicted. Period. Some people say that there's only one way to heaven through Jesus Christ. That's not true. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says there's two ways to heaven. One is through Jesus Christ. The other is perform the law and get it all right. All of it. How many of you stand condemned? How many? Are you condemned when you realize that? That there's two ways to heaven. Perform the law and get it all right or rely on someone outside of yourself doing for you what you could not do alone. That is the gospel to be the end. Romans says that Christ has come to be the end of the law. And yet, his followers still hold it like it's their religion. Our religion is not the law. Our religion is the gospel. That those who were once far off have been brought near through the blood of the Lamb. That's a message I'll just keep preaching. The gospel is for those who know they stand convicted. Those who know they are outside of the faith. Those who know they cannot on their own, provide the credentials necessary for their own righteousness. God has to do that for them. And friends, perhaps when we, as a church, start loving the gospel as much as we love the law, 
we might really see some lives transformed as well. You see, the opening words of Paul to the church in Philippi are not only intended to let them know that the gospel is doing okay inside of a prison, but he uses the example of the prison to offer the hope to the church's own preaching and living out of the gospel, to those who are in political, social, environmental, physical prisons of their own lives. Paul's saying, if I can be joyous and hopeful inside of these walls, you can be hopeful inside of yours. And why? Why can we be hopeful? Because those who live with the hope of the gospel, i.e., those who know that all that needed to be done has been done, they can know, despite their circumstances, they can now trust. They can now trust that just as God began a good work in them, God is trustworthy enough to bring that good work to completion, even sometimes despite them. Rabbi Hugo Grin used to tell of his experience in Auschwitz as a boy. He said that food supplies were always very meager, and the inmates took care to preserve every scrap that came their way. When the festival of Hanukkah arrived, Hugo's father took a lump of margarine, and to the horror of young Hugo, he used it as fuel to light the candle to be lit at the festival. Hugo asked his dad, why did you take our food and light it on fire? It's a good question to ask when you're in a deliberation camp. And Hugo's father said, we know that it's possible to live life for three weeks without food. But without hope, it's impossible to live properly for three minutes. You see, the message of Paul in prison is one of hope. You can imprison me. The law can convict me. The law can say I am not worthy. But you can't imprison the gospel of the freed. You may hear Paul saying, it's too wild, this gospel. It's too free, this gospel. It's too powerful to be held down with chains, even the chains of our own lives. God has acted in the world and its course has been changed forever. So to perhaps answer my colleague's question, the gospel is growing in leaps and bounds in other places more than our own. Because while we've learned to live on our 401ks and our own self-righteousness, perhaps others those who have been condemned and convicted, they rely on the work of Jesus to be their hope and their hope alone. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.